Morning, everyone. <coughs> morning, everyone. Morning. It's good to see you this morning, and you're very welcome to our service. And it's lovely to see a wee bit of sunshine. And um, if you're a visitor, you're very well, very welcome to our service this morning. And I hope you'll come back. And anybody that's online at the moment, if uh, you're very welcome also uh, to join in our worship this morning. Just a wee reminder that Blaze, Blaze is our little bee, which he's in the Mediterranean at the moment. Uh, it's a little toy, which we're trying to teach the children about global mission. And uh, so he's in the Mediterranean. I don't know where he's going next. I know he's going to France a, wee, a couple of weeks' time. But if you would like to take Blaze on your holiday, there's a little journal you fill in about where he's gone, what he's done, and maybe even what missionaries or churches are working in the area that you go to. So hopefully by the end of the summer, we'll have a journal with the adventures of Blaze the Bee. Okay, Ballycrock and Sism, just a reminder uh, about that. Sism is back this year, Monday the 8th to Saturday the 13th of August. And we're in the process of organizing food for the team of leaders. If anyone would be prepared to help by either preparing some food or serving some food on the Tuesday and the Wednesday of the week, either lunch or evening would do. Please let Tom Henry know. Um, Zoom prayer times. Also, we're having uh, Zoom prayer meetings over the summer. Uh, the Friday morning meetings will resume again in September. But there are two evening prayer times that are planned. Um, one is Wednesday the 20th of July. That's this Wednesday night. Um, and then Wednesday the 3rd of August. And both will be starting at 8 p.m. And uh, if you have an old order of service for login details, don't throw it out. The login details are there in your order of service. We don't have an order of service because uh, Rini is um, on holiday this week, so we don't have an order of service for this week. But any of the ones from about three weeks ago will certainly have it on um, on those. If, if you're still not sure, please ring John Armstrong or myself and we'll tell you the details. Okay, and just finally, Ben Cavan's commissioning service, that's our uh, outreach community worker. He'll be starting, God willing, on the 15th of August, and the commissioning service for Ben will be on Sunday the 14th of August at half past three. So we're looking forward to that. That's a wee date I'm giving you in advance to put in your diary. Okay, so I just want to read Daniel chapter 12, verse 3. Uh, those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens, and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Let's pray. Father, we're told in the book of James that if we lack wisdom, Lord, that we should pray for wisdom. And Lord, we want that wisdom in our leadership. We want that wisdom in our congregation, in the things that we decide to do, in the vision that we have for the future. And Lord, the righteousness also, we want not our own righteousness, but we want the righteousness of Christ in us, revealed through us. And we know, Lord, that that means intimacy with you. That means times of quiet with you. It means times of seeking you that you might work in us and through us. Lord, we pray that you would be glorified in everything that is said and done in the service this morning. Lord, that all the glory would go to you. I pray, Lord, that we might leave any distractions at the door and, Lord, focus 
on worshipping only you, for you deserve our praise and our worship. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're going to stand and we're going to sing to God be the glory. Okay, I want to ask you quite a personal question. It's a rhetorical question, quite a personal question, and I ask myself the same as well. From this time last year, have you grown 
in your faith in Christ. From this time last year, have you grown in your love for Jesus Christ? Those are two very important questions. And I want to look at them this morning by two ways. There are different ways that God can help us to grow in him. But I want to look just at two ways this morning. And I'm going to use the eagle as the way of teaching us how we can grow in our faith in Christ. Let me read Deuteronomy uh, chapter 32, verses 10 to 12. In a desert land he found him, in a barren and howling waste. He shielded him and cared for him. He guarded him as the apple of his eye. Who he's referring to here is Jacob, who then had a family and they became known as Israel, the nation. So God's talking about looking after his people. And then he says, like an eagle that stirs up the nest and hovers over its young, that spreads its wings to catch them and carries them on its pinions, the Lord alone led him. No foreign God was with him. So I want to go through that a wee bit slower with you, okay? Let me explain to you about the eagle. There's one way that God can teach us and help us to grow, and that's in the trials that he allows us to go through. And we're told, like an eagle who stirs up its nest, a mother eagle is very attentive to its young, and it will come and fly over all the different places and get food for them and bring them back. And the little eaglets go, and this is great. This is lovely. I'm sitting in a lovely nest, very high up in a tree, and my mum's attending to my every need. But then as the eaglet begins to grow a wee bit, then it's time for it to start to learn to fly, to leave the nest. So what the mother eagle very cleverly does is brings little thorns and things that are uncomfortable and puts them in the middle of the nest. So the little eaglets are sitting there, not very comfortable there. They start to move out to the side a wee bit. So the mother brings even more stuff in and starts to put it around the side, and they're going, ooh, that's not comfortable. So eventually they're sitting on the edge of the nest, balancing. And they're a bit ungainly when they get to that size. And suddenly then the mother, we're told, is stirring the nest, but we're told that she hovers over its young and she's looking out for it, looking out for it, looking out for it. And it comes to that point where the little eaglet goes, oh no, and it falls back out of the nest and it starts to come from right down to the earth. Its little wings are going like that and nothing's happening. And then all of a sudden the mother who's been hovering, she comes down and she catches it on her back. And she, she's got on the back of her wings like that. And, she, and the wee one's going, phew, that was close. And the big, the mother eagle goes up and even higher. And then she goes, oh, sorry. And the wee thing falls off the back and comes, it's coming down to the ground again. It's busy going again. And she keeps doing this again and again and again until it gets to the point where the little eaglet's muscles are strong enough, and it starts, oh, hey, I can fly, I can fly. And that's the whole mother's aim, is to try and get those little muscles stronger and stronger so that the eagle can be independent. Now, we're like that a bit. God allows us to go through trials, allows us to go through storms, um, to try and strengthen our faith muscles to try and get us to trust in him more and more. But the difference between us and the eagle is that the eagle wants the little eaglet to become totally independent. 
God wants us to be stronger and stronger in him, to become more dependent on him. So that's one way that the eagle can teach us about how God helps us to grow in our faith and trust um, through trials. The next one is through time. And it's also an example of an eagle here as well. It's Isaiah chapter 40, verses 30 to 31. We're told, even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope, or some translations have those who wait on the Lord, they will renew their strength, and they will soar on wings like eagles. And they shall run and not grow weary. They shall walk and not faint. The other thing that helps us to grow in Christ is our use of time. It's important that we have a relationship with Christ, and that relationship develops. And so you need to talk to him. You need to listen to him. You need to spend time with him. Like if you fancy someone, <laughs> going back for many of you for many years and for me as well, but if you fancy someone, you don't stay away from them. You go and talk to them and you spend time with them and you try and find time. If you don't have time, you try and find time where you can spend. So it's like an ordinary relationship. And if we're to grow in Christ, if we're to grow strong in Christ, our faith to grow stronger, we need to be listening to what he says. These are God's thoughts expressed in his word. And by us sitting and thinking and meditating, you know, I don't know if there's any farmers here, but I remember Charles Price described meditating. He was from a farming background. He said, a cow will swallow something. And then it'll spit it back up again. And it'll chew it. And then it'll swallow it again. And then it'll spit it back up again and chew the cud a bit more. And you'll do this three, four, five, six times. And meditation's a bit like that, where we take a verse from Scripture and we sit and think, how is that relevant to me? And we chew it over in our minds. We think about it, and how does that apply to me? And if we're to grow in Christ, that's one way. And we're told sometimes we get really, really tired. You get physically tired. You get mentally tired. It's like a rat race out there. And all of us need time to be quiet before God and to develop our relationship with him. We can need that for ourselves, but we also need it for others as well. Um, sorry, they shall mount up, that's part of the verse, they shall mount up with wings like eagles, they shall run and not be weary, they shall walk and not faint. So even if you're feeling physically tired, spending time with God helps you spiritually and mentally to regain that strength for him. Now, it's for you, and also, if we're to be salt and light, we need to be walking close with God. If we're to show people something different about us, something, a hope that is within us, it's very, very important that we bear the fruit of God. And we only get that by spending time with God in his presence and allowing him to thrill our hearts and allowing him to fill us with his spirit that we might bear the fruit of the spirit. 
For example, and this, let me see, uh, the fruit of the Spirit on the right-hand side, Paul tells us in Galatians 5, 22 to 23, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance or self-control. Against such things there is no law. But that's the fruit of the Spirit. That's what the Holy Spirit's like. And as we have God in our lives and in a relationship, God's Spirit begins to develop that fruit from within us. And we live in a world of hatred. We live in a world of bitterness, of wars, of disappointment, of depression, of anxiety. And what an amazing blessing that we could be if we are able to bring love instead of hatred and joy instead of sorrow and peace instead of despair and panic, patience instead of always wanting something and grabbing for something, gentleness instead of arrogance, goodness instead of evil, faith instead of meaninglessness, meekness and self-control. I hope you get what I'm saying. As we have time for God, it helps us ourselves, but it helps us to develop that fruit which other people are able to feed off in a world that is quite dark. And we want to reach people for Christ. Jesus says, every tree is known by its own fruit. Our relationship with Jesus Christ, those actual fruit, that fruit, it, it matters, it's critical to allow God in your life to bear those fruit. If you're a Christian, God wants you to honor him each day, not just for a Sunday, but for a Monday. God wants you to honor him in every relationship, in what you think you say, on the television programs you watch, on the things you read, and on the people you hang out with. God wants your life to be different so that you can affect the lives of others. Let's just pray a minute. Father, we just, we thank you, Lord. There are so many examples in creation and in nature, Lord, where it's wonderful, where we can see your hand, where we can see your face reflected, where we can see your fingerprints upon. And God, I pray, I thank you for the eagle. And Lord, thank you for those trials that, that make our faith wings grow stronger. And Lord, thank you, Lord, thank you for reminding us that in this rat race and this busyness of life, we need to be spending time with you. It's the most precious thing to be able to come into your presence and know that you're there, ready to speak and ready to listen. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I find this little poem during the week. I'm going to read it before we sing. Um, it's called, it's by Sue Tyler, it's called The Unseen Guest. It's about Jesus being close to you and representing Jesus to other people. And we'll look a wee bit at that later on, but it's called The Unseen Guest. If Jesus spoke to you today and asked if he could spend some time with you and your family over this next weekend, what would your reaction be at this bolt out of the blue? Would it, be, would it mean mass cancellation? of things you'd plan to do? Would you feel embarrassed to have him in your home, sharing in your normal routine, listening to conversations on the phone? Do you think Jesus would like to read your usual magazine? Maybe it would end up hidden in case it should be seen. The plans you had for your leisure, could Jesus join in with you? 
that video you intend to watch, would he enjoy it too? How about your closest friends? Imagine how you'd feel introducing him to them, meeting together for a meal. Would conversation be stinted? Certain topics be taboo? Hoping nobody would mention the things you normally do. Now, when it came to prayer time, would would your Bible be easy to find or hidden on a bookshelf, out of sight and out of mind? Just think how lovely to take Jesus when you visit those less fortunate than you, the sick, the lonely, or the housebound. Or is that not something you usually do? All the worldly goods you own, would Jesus think it fair when there are people living in Africa without a penny to spare? Well, it may just give us food for thought. Perhaps we need to change, put our priorities in a different order, our lifestyle rearrange. Let's live our lives remembering that Jesus is right there in every situation, no matter when or where. And we're going to sing, um, we're going to sing The Lord's My Shepherd, and it's the Chris Tomlin version, where I will trust in you. And just respond to God. Respond to God in this worship and tell him, Lord, I'm going to trust you. Something's worrying you today. I'm going to trust you with that. A hospital visit you have to go to this week. Something, a checkup. Results you're waiting for. Lord, I'm going to trust you for that today. Let's stand and worship God.
the lyrics on that uh, video. Apologies for that. Um, okay, so young ones are going out uh, now. Let's just take a moment and let's pray together and we're going to finish with the Lord's Prayer together. Heavenly Father, when we feel crushed by our own worries, lift our minds and help us to see the truth. When fear grips us tightly and we feel we cannot move, free our hearts and help us to take things one step at a time. When we can't express the turmoil inside, calm us with your quiet words of love. We choose to trust in you each day, each hour, each moment of life. We thank you, Father, that you are trustworthy. We thank you for your presence in our lives, for your peace that you bring, for your love that casts out all fear. Father, we join together in the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's just stand again and sing with regards to our own Heavenly Father, how deep the Father's love for us.
just want to read for you now Philippians chapter 4, uh, verses 4 to 9. Well, I'm actually going to read verses 1 uh, to 9, just to keep it in the context. Philippians chapter 4, verses 1 to 9. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, that is how you should stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. I plead with Euodia and I plead with Syntyche to agree with each other in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, local uh, loyal yoke fellow, help these women who have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Amen. Let's pray a moment just. Speak to us, Lord, in this quiet hour. May we know your presence. May we feel your power. Amen. Uh, we just have the we uh, PowerPoint up. Come on. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> Thank you, Chris. Um, you know, life has its ups and downs, uh, and relationships have their ups and downs. I said to my wife last week, I said, Elaine, why do you never get angry when I do stupid things? And she said, well, I go and clean the toilet. And I said, well, how does that help you going to clean the toilet? She says, well, I use your toothbrush. (laughs) So husbands, please check your toothbrush regularly. Okay. And... (laughs) There are very few relationships that don't have, what could you say, sandpaper moments. And and that includes relationships within the church. You may well have heard this verse from an unknown poet. To live above with the saints we love, oh, that will be glory. But to live below with the saints we know, well, that's another story. (laughs) And how easy it is for tension and fallouts to happen in such a place as church because we're working close together. And even in Philippi, there were these two women and they're not getting on. And he names them by name and their names go down forever and ever. Euodia and Syntyche. And he says, Paul says, I plead with Euodia and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind. You know, Paul, I was thinking about this during the week, it could take beatings, he's taken many beatings, he's taken shipwrecks, he's been stuck in the ocean, he's taken imprisonment, but one thing that he hates is two disagreeable women. <laughs> we all say amen to that, don't we? 
And they've been really good workers, though, he tells us, for the gospel. They've been really good at working with him. And Paul writes, please help these women, help them to sort out their differences. You know, we can laugh, but the reality of the situation is that when we're working in close contact with other people within the church, uh, we can have sandpaper moments where I rub you up the wrong way or you rub me up the wrong way. And uh, Paul, in this part of the letter, he's trying to help them get their minds straight. So now we come to our passage this morning. Paul gives four commands. He gives four commands. Um, First of all, he says, rejoice. Then he says, be gentle. He says, don't worry. And he says, pray. So we're going to look at those four things this morning. Rejoice, be gentle, don't worry, and pray. First of all, rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. And I will say it again, rejoice. There's been a joy right throughout Philippians. And he often mentions the word rejoice. And it doesn't sound like a man who's sitting in a prison cell chained to a guard. You know, you'd expect complaining, you'd expect grumbling, you'd expect swearing, but not Paul. He says, rejoice in the Lord. And I'll say it again for you in case you didn't hear me the first time. Rejoice in the Lord. What a, what a lesson, though. These are, these are minor disputes that Paul's talking about, these women. And he's, he's saying, don't let such things take away your joy of knowing Jesus Christ. Don't get distracted with minor issues. Get back on track. And when things get really bad, even in our own personal lives, even should your life lie in ruins like his did, looked like it was, didn't it? Should your life lie in ruins, like Jerusalem when Babylon had dropped its bombs on Jerusalem and many were killed and many were taken into exile and Jeremiah was broken and he was crying. That's what Lamentations is about. He said, but basically, Jeremiah got up then and he dusted himself down and he started to praise God and rejoice. And he said, your mercies, Lord, are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. It's hard to do that sometimes, isn't it? When you're going through the fire of testing. But Paul is teaching us in this letter to rise above the circumstances. Don't allow your circumstances to steal the joy of your knowledge of Jesus Christ, of his love for you, your love for him, and what he has in store for you in the future. As Nehemiah writes, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Nehemiah saying, that's what gets me up out of bed in the morning. The joy of the Lord, knowing him. Rejoice in spite of your circumstances. Let's celebrate what we have in Christ, Paul is saying. Let's not be distracted from him. And even in spite of the pain, perhaps, that we may feel in our bodies at times, our souls are safe in his hands. And we might feel that life is against us and beating us up and that we're fallen from the nest. But we are safe in the Father's hands. It's like an eagle that swoops down and catches you. Paul says, absolutely nothing can separate you from the love of Jesus Christ. Secondly, he commands us, be gentle. 
be gentle. Let your gentleness be evident to all. It's a character trait which is very uncommon today. We see so much hostility on our television sets and on our news and amongst our politicians. You know, fights, anger. But here, in contrast to that, Paul is saying, be gentle. It's part of Christ's DNA to be gentle. Paul in 2 Corinthians 10, verse 1, he's appealing to the church at Corinth, and I know I wouldn't have wanted to be a pastor in Corinth. It was a hard, hard church. It had been a very worldly city right on the coast where sailors would come in and they would get drunk and lie with prostitutes and all sorts of background stuff that was going on in Corinth. And Paul sets up a church right in the middle of it. And they were getting confused a lot. They were getting caught up in arguments a lot. They didn't understand. I wouldn't have wanted to be a pastor in Corinth. And Paul says to the people in Corinth, he appeals to them by the meekness, we're told, and by the gentleness of Christ. To be gentle is a Christ-like quality. It's not a weakness. Indeed, Jesus himself describes himself in Matthew eleven twenty nine, I am gentle and lowly in heart. Jesus had that sort of approachableness. Anyone from a child to an old person could just approach him because he had that gentle aura about him. Not condemnatory, but accepting and loving and gracious. You know, within the church at Philippi, this gentleness may prevent or solve such rifts as had been between these two women. You know, learn from this, Paul's saying. Let your gentleness be evident. Be gracious. Treat one another with grace. He says, the Lord, he says, is near. That's a good reason, and that's why I read out that poem that I came across, the unseen guest at everything, in every conversation, unseen guest at your workplace, in your home, out with your friends. The unseen guest, it's, Paul says, the Lord is near. And it's a good reason to treat one another with kindness and with grace and with gentleness. You know, it's also been translated, this passage, the Lord is near. That's also been translated, which I liked, the Lord is at your elbow. He's right there. He's at your elbow. You'll have heard the phrase, Christ is the head of the home, the unseen guest of every meal, the silent listener to every conversation. Paul says, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. But as well as it being a warning to us and a reminder that he's near, it's also a very comforting reminder that in life's storms, he's at your elbow. He's right there. Now, I love the story of Jesus being in the boat in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. And the Sea of Galilee is prone to massive storms. It can just whip up very quickly. Because of the mountains, the actual wind can come whistling down the mountains through the valley. Before you know it, you're in a perfect storm. And that happened that day with the disciples on, boat, on the boat. And they start to panic. And they start to try and bail out the water. And they're really, they're being seasick. Even though many of them are fishermen, they, they, they're really panicking. And Jesus, where's Jesus? He's sleeping on a pillow in the stern of the boat. 
And what I was thinking about this is that, you know, you can go through a storm and God says there will be storms. We know that there will be storms in our lives. That's a certainty. And and it doesn't matter whether you're a Christian or you're not a Christian, those storms will still come. And it doesn't matter how much money you have or don't have, those storms will come. And it doesn't matter how organized you are and how you try to prepare for your future, those storms are our storms that can just come up very suddenly and you can do absolutely nothing about them. But the important thing is having Jesus on the boat. Having Jesus in the boat. Having Jesus at your elbow. So they waken Jesus up and with one phrase he calms the sea. He calms the sea. But how amazing it is to know that Jesus is in the boat and is with his disciples and Jesus is fast asleep. And I'm sure, I know when I read that, I think to myself, wouldn't it be lovely to have that sort of peace? That in the middle of the storm, yes, the storm's raging, the tempest is raging, the rain is hitting the windows, the, the, the wind is taking the slates off the roof. But I'm able to sleep easy because Jesus is at my elbow. You know what? Jesus wants you to have that sort of peace. Doesn't he say, uh, do not worry about tomorrow? Doesn't Jesus say to his disciples, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Well, then believe in me. Doesn't he also say, my peace I leave with you? My peace, my peace. Not a worldly peace. My peace peace that comes from my heart, that comes from the Father's heart, I leave with you. Nowhere does Jesus say it's going to be easy, and nowhere does Paul say life is going to be a breeze, but Paul wants here to remind us that Jesus is in the boat. Is at your elbow. Which leads us on to verse Six, um, Paul says, don't worry. Do not be anxious about anything. You know, anxiety is a big thing today. I think people are more stressed today maybe than they've ever been. And this past year has not helped with the pandemic, with the, the crisis, the economy, with the pandemic, with Ukraine. And anxiety often increases, though, when we feel that we are alone, where we feel that the only resources we have are our own resources. It's a bit like the verse, I'm getting really into poetry, (laughs) but it's like the verse said, the robin to the sparrow, I should really like to know why these anxious human beings rush about and worry so, said the sparrow to the robin. Friend, I think that it must be that they have no heavenly father such as cares for you and me. And whenever you feel anxious, you tend to feel alone. You tend to feel independent of God. And God says to Israel, why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord? And maybe you feel like that this morning. I'm on my own. 
God doesn't see me. God's too busy with Ukraine and all this crisis throughout the world. God doesn't know what's going on in my personal life. He's overlooked me. He's passed over me. That's the way Israel felt in the Old Testament. But Paul reassures us, you're not abandoned. You're not alone. In fact, come into the New Testament and... God's presence is declared there even more. Testament actually means covenant. So the Old Testament is the Old Covenant, Moses um, and God, and, and the New Testament is, is, is a new covenant. And whenever you give your life to Christ, covenant is like a marriage. That's what a marriage is. It's a covenant between two people. So whenever you come in to give your life to Jesus Christ, you decide that you, you, you want him, that you want to follow him, and you turn from sin and put your trust in him as Savior and Lord, then he's there for you, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish. Except with Christ, it's not until death does part, but it's until death brings us closer than we have ever been before. Reach out to him. Paul says, do not be anxious. God's got you. God's got you in the palm of his hand. He's there. The Lord is there at your elbow. You are safe. You're with, he's with you. But finally, pray. Fourth command is to pray. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Pray. And, and Paul says, pray with thanksgiving. Pray and thank God. Sometimes we get so caught up in praying about the bad that you forget to pray about the good. Or, or you're so focused on the trials that you're praying for that you forget the treasures that Christ has given. Sometimes you can come out of a prayer meeting more depressed than when you went in. Isn't that true? Because so often it can be about praying for Aunt Sadie and her sickness and and. Uncle Ted with his bad leg and different things, which is all very important, and that's important. But when we just focus on that, we can be getting depressed. So Paul is saying, he's reminding them, pray with thanksgiving, because it'll remind you of all the good things that God has done for you. It'll make you search your memory banks and realize what God has given you and done for you. As Peter writes, cast all your anxiety upon him. Leave it there, down at his feet, for he cares for you. Did you I wonder if you hear that last bit. Your head probably heard it, but your heart maybe hasn't. He cares for you. I think the most relaxing prayer meeting I've ever been at was when I worked in Ballysillen. Um, one afternoon, some church leaders were meeting to pray in the manse of the Church of Ireland minister. And I'd been suffering severe pain, really bad pain with sciatica. And I'd gone to the doctors that morning and uh, had a quick lunch then, and I went over to the meeting. Now, she'd given me two tablets. So I took two tablets just to kill the pain. But I was in such a hurry, I didn't take time to read the box which said, do not take when driving. So, well, I arrived at the prayer meeting, all right, safely enough. And the rector led the way in prayer. 
And then I followed him, I prayed. And as soon as I prayed, I, I fell asleep out to the world. So then I managed about 20 minutes later to come around a wee bit. I heard they were still praying. So I prayed again, and then I was out to the world again. And the third time I managed to come around just when the rector was saying, um, well, we'll just leave it there. I think we've got a lot done here today. And I'm thinking, what's he talking about? <laughs> I have no idea what he's talking about. But that's, I'm not recommending that. That's going a bit too far. But whenever you ask God for something, leave it down. Don't pick it up again. Leave it with him. Surrender it to him. He's big enough. There's a beautiful, there's a lovely way, it's quite an old-fashioned way of praying, but it's quite a simple thing. It's called hands up, hands down. Hands up. Lord, I'll leave these things with you. I surrender these things to you. Hands down. I'm leaving them there, not picking them up. Hands up, hands down. And so verse 7, we're told, And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. These four things, Paul is saying, these four commands, if you follow through with them, the peace of God which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And Paul sketches for us a picture of a squad of Roman soldiers. People living in Philippi, they were used to Roman soldiers, standing in every corner, around every street, and they were familiar with the Roman guards who were on sentry duty, and they they were guarding against the unwanted individual coming where they shouldn't come. And as it shows in the picture, a squad's defense of how they defended themselves, if people were coming, the enemy was coming towards them, they would stand back to back with their shields out and their shields above them, and the enemy couldn't get at them, And as you see in the picture. And that's what Paul is using that imagery of the Roman soldiers um, and saying the peace of God, you spend time with prayer, in prayer you spend time in God's presence each day. You know, this, it will be the peace of God will, will guard your hearts and your minds and keep it in peace. And guard it from anxiety. You know, Jesus Christ understands what anxiety is. And it's not something that we can patronize over because it's, it's a very difficult thing. It's not something that we can look down upon someone when they're anxious and say, oh, catch a grip. No, because it's a very difficult thing. And he felt, Jesus, that he understands what it feels like. He felt the anguish the night of his arrest. I want you just in your mind to be transported back to the Garden of Gethsemane, the night Jesus was betrayed. 
Luke tells us, being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. It's a condition called hematode hydrosis. Incredible stress, incredible anxiety to the point where he's, he's bleeding, his sweat is bleeding. And he falls on the ground on his face. And he knows what's coming tomorrow. He knows that when he is eventually nailed to that cross tomorrow, that he will be alone. Never, ever in the history of eternity had he ever been abandoned by the Father and the Holy Spirit. There's a Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Tri means three, and they're so together in eternity, unity. That's where we get the word trinity. Try unity, so together, and they've been always together. But he knows that when he hangs on that piece of wood tomorrow, that he's going to be alone. And the pressure of that, and the pressure of carrying the sin of the world upon his shoulders, he is a broken man. But Christ took that aloneness upon his shoulders that you and I may never, ever, ever need to be alone again. Not even in the valley of the shadow of death, which is probably the biggest and our, certainly our final storm that we encounter in life. Even in the valley of the shadow of death, as death casts its shadow Christ is the light that causes the shadow to be there in the first place. With you. Graham Kendrick wrote a song. You should listen to it on YouTube. It's called, For This We Have Jesus. For whatever storm you have to face this week, this month, this year, for this we have Jesus. And he will never, ever, ever leave you as an orphan, or leave you alone. The command to rejoice, the command to be gentle, the command not to be anxious, and the command to pray. Paul says, will lead to peace of God, the peace of God guarding and reigning in your heart. Paul now leaves us with one more very helpful piece of advice. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. But I'm going to leave that to next week. Let's pray. Father, when we think about it, the three in one, the tri-unity, the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, there is one thing massively that they have in common, and that is our best welfare. Our welfare, our best. There's a little Hebrew word in the Old Testament, hesed, love, It's about a love, a covenant love that wants the other person's best. Father, we thank you that for each of us, you want our 
very best. And Lord, I pray, Lord, that in times of trial that we might trust you and know that we are on the back, that you have us supported on your back and under your wings. And Father, we pray, Lord, that if we're tired and we're exhausted, I pray, God, that we would go and rest and rest this summer and rest not just physically, but spiritually, spend time to reflect on what you've done for us and what you want to say to us. And we pray that your word may become living and real to each and every one of us. We pray, God, be with those this week who have difficult things that they're worried about, things that they're facing this coming week. We just pray that you'd give them a sense of your presence. Emmanuel, God is with us. May they walk into it with head held high and confident that you are able to do immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm going to stand and worship God uh, with our final hymn this morning. And we're going to sing it, but it's a prayer. We're going to pray it as a song. It's, Father, I place into your hands. the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and his love and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all now and forevermore. Amen. <laughs>